So, Dave, we <laughs> we had one of those weird little uh, discussions at the dinner table the other night. Uh, I knew you'd be uh, uh, you'd love this one. The kids Alrighty. were asking about how they got their names. I don't know whether you've oh, ever no. had okay. this discussion. <laughs> All and right. Carolyn and I both started laughing. Why do you ask, Bilbo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ask your brother Frodo. He'll tell you all about yeah. it. Uh, so I don't know, it, Anakin. I do feel bad about your name from time to time. <laughs> and Carolyn and I started laughing because we really struggled with boys' names. And, and, and as fate would have it, we ended up having two boys. Uh, we struggled with boys' names. Girls' names, we have lists and lists that we agreed with. But every oh, time God. we tried to have this discussion about boys' names, it went like this. I'd say, hey, how about Carl? And she'd say, no, I dated a Carl in high school. He was a real jerk. <laughs> and she'd say, how about Barry? And I'd say, oh, no, Barry beat me up in uh, junior high. We can't do that. <laughs> and then I'd pitch a name, and it was some guy who was a jerk to her. And she'd pick a name, and it was some guy that beat me up. We went through the, you know, you, you, did you get these books that you, you take out from the library? You know, oh, the yeah, big yeah, book the, of the baby names. One baby names or most yeah. popular baby names of the year. We went, yeah. we went from, from, from uh, Albert to, to Xavier, and we couldn't agree on them because they were either you know somebody that was a jerk to her, or somebody that beat me up. We we were all the way to the end of the book, and we couldn't agree on a single one. <laughs> I like that all the name reservations that Brad Geiger has. We're learning a lot about Brad Geiger's childhood. It was like, nope, that was a swirly, that yeah. was a wedgie, that was a, a, a wet willy. Like they're all kids that just beat up Brad. <laughs> yeah, it was like, uh, what, what, what do you think about Frank? Are you you kidding me? The wedgies that that guy gave? Forget no, that about guy it. was a swirly master. I'm not. No, <laughs> I, I do like though the, the idea that in a book of a thousand and one names, uh, 999 had beat up Brad, and then yeah, we're like, finally, yeah. we found a name that just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one the one name we could agree on was you know I I, I was, it, finally we came down to we came down to names that could be like uh, variable because we didn't know who the kid was going to be you know they, they, right. they were still they hadn't even made their appearance on the planet yet and we didn't so uh, names like that we ended up with were like Alexander and Maxwell Alex can be a, a an Alex an Alexander. He could be a Xander if we if, if from Buffy the Vampire oh, yeah. Slayer. We if he wanted to be in a teen romance, yep, yep. Yeah. And if he wanted to take over the world, he could be Lex. You know, we that's a name <laughs> with flexibility. They, you know, same thing with Maxwell. He could be a Maxwell, he can be a Max. Uh, uh, unfortunately, he ended up becoming a Maxi. Uh, we just we just started calling him Maxi around the house. And I, I was uh, chaperoning a, a, a field trip and I called him Maxi and I got this for the first time in my life. Don't call me Maxi. <laughs> you're, you're my little Maxie. I can't not call you Maxie. He's like, Dad, stop that. So Dad, I, 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 this Dad, is what's surprised. coming for you. This is what's coming yeah. for you. I gotta say though, I, I, a couple things that I like about the story. One, I love that uh, it was it because people think that it's 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 easy, but you get two people in a room. Oh. And names will trigger the weirdest memories. And also, my wife and I would have this thing where we would pitch a name, Brad, and we would say, and no one would be offended by this. I'm just throwing out a name. We'd be like, uh, how about Larry? And huh. then the other one of us would go, no, absolutely not. Larry works at a coffee shop at a truck stop. Like, we would have very specific criticisms about why 
Like, oh, I, the other one would be like, well, how about Sebastian? No, Sebastian serves coffee at a hipster coffee shop and it's overpriced coffee and he's a jerk to you. So no, we're not like, these are not people that we've met, Brad. My wife and I as artists would like create the life of the name of the person that we're, and, and it was a fully realized person. We'd be like, no, I'm not naming them uh, Harriet. Harriet is the name of a librarian that was that's a jerk. And that refuses to help people find the right book. You know, like, it was all hyper specific criticisms about why we couldn't do this or that name. Which is the well, the bad thing, thing is, I, I, did, did this happen to you? All the really good names I had already used in my comic strip. I loved the idea of naming a boy Mackenzie so he could be a Mac. You know, there's there's a wide there's a wide swath there between a Mackenzie and a Mac. Those are two very different types of uh, person there. And, and he right. could be either, but I'd already used that in Greystone Inn. Carolyn says, you can't name a, one of our sons after your comic strip character. So all of the names that I'd, I, I had come up with uh, for Greystone Inn were forbidden because then you're naming them after a comic character. Yeah, thankfully, I didn't have Drive running at the time because there was no way I was going to name my kid Nosh. That's, that doesn't work. That's, <laughs> that's not yeah, that's, work. that's a pretty mean thing to do to a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of Evil Inc., and I'm his friend Mackenzie, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Strip. Can you imagine me as a Mackenzie? I'm having Mackenzie. a hard time. I'm having a hard time. Uh, I'm, I can't imagine you as a Mac either. So it's not going to work either way. So here's my problem with names. I immediately imagine the person. Here's what Mackenzie does for a living. Mackenzie edits books for a failing poetry uh, publisher. <laughs> and they can barely make their rent in Brooklyn. But they're, they put out 10 titles a year. And Mackenzie's doing his best but he's just like life is not working for him he wears these sweaters that have little triangles on them anyway that's Mackenzie, everybody and meanwhile mac is a pipe fitter and he's got a lot of t-shirts with double entendres <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of t-shirts that just say slayer on them that's mac <laughs> and this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by <laughs> we yours. didn't finish no no you you, you completely sidetracked us did you even say that, that dave did you even say that you're the cartoonist of drive and sheldon and the co-director of stripped I don't know. Anyway, I'm Dave Kellett, the cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon, and the co-director of Strip. Oh, scintillating. And this hour is our... Uh, we're off to a horrible <laughs> start, Dave. This week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So, Dave, let's talk apologies, my friend. I owe an apology. And I oh, want to okay. get this. Uh, I want to get this out of the way right at the top of the show. Do you remember uh, a couple shows ago when I was so excited to bring you that story about a artist that had turned the tables on some unscrupulous T-shirt uh, vendors who were using social media bots to scrape content? Remember that story? Oh, right. The bot and the the artist turned it uh, turned it against them by yeah. uh, by saying like don't don't print with this company. They're jerks or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and a bunch of those T-shirt companies the next day had kind of shut down. They're back now, but it was fun to watch them uh, suffer a little bit. Well, in my excitement to bring you that story, I did not do my due diligence and I used the wrong pronouns for that person. And I regret that carelessness. And uh, and I, I, I publicly apologize to that person. Their correct pronouns are they and them. And uh, to make this an even more egregious error, uh, that was spelled out 
very clearly on their Twitter page where I was getting all this information and following this action. So my apologies uh, to uh, uh, the the person behind the Twitter handle, Nana Dukin. Uh, uh, my apologies for that. I will be uh, much better that in the future. I uh, am ashamed that I didn't uh, check that better. Well, so, to, put uh, some, to put some context on that, the world needs to know Brad's eyeballs are very old. They're very <laughs> old eyeballs. And asking those eyeballs Eyeballs to read. That's a that's a when you say that's a lot, Brad. At this point, it's hard to get out of bed. It's like it, it's, it's <laughs> enough. It's enough to get the slippers on and pad over to where the medicines are kept. Uh, I think. Is, yeah, is yeah, really... and, and, and yeah, and then make sure I'm taking all my pills in the right order. But even that, I can't even. <laughs> I've got to take heart pill before the blood pressure pill because the blood pressure pill just gets my thumper going. It's oh not, yeah. Uh, no, I, I wish I could accept that even that as, but I can't even, I, I, even my, even old eyes can go over there and look and get those pronouns and, uh, and well, so good on I, you for doing it, Brad. Good on you. I appreciate yeah, that. That's so I, I will be better about that in the future. Well, then jumping right in, uh, uh, Brad, for this week, uh, we have some exciting and personal advice from Jackie Estrada, who very Ooh. kindly runs the Eisner Awards. Brad, you do know that yeah. it's Eisner season, of course. Oh, yeah. The uh, deadline is March 13th, correct? March 13th to uh, submit for the Eisners. And if you're producing uh, uh, work that you are proud of and would like to be considered for the Eisners, Brad and I would highly suggest it. You can go over to ComicCon.org and uh, find it's a one page PDF. And Mm -hmm. I highly recommend you look through it and see what categories you might qualify for. And, uh, of course, my long ready critique of that there's no short form webcomic category for the Eisners. Uh, still stands. It's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. But yeah. they did at least add a digital comic and they have long form uh, web comic. So that's good. But there might be other uh, categories that you fall under, whether you're doing uh, journalism or uh, published a book for the year, that kind of thing. So, um, uh, Brad, you what? Tell me your strategies for for the Eisners. Well, one thing I want to jump in real quick on is what's okay. the difference between a web comic and a digital comic, right? That. That could cause some confusion. So let's talk about that just for a second. A okay, web comic yeah. is going to be a comic that you are updating on the web, right? You've got to go to that website for the different updates. It's done in real time, week right, after week, right. day after day. That's right. a web comic. A digital comic is like an e comic or an e book. So I'm submitting Evil Inc. under both categories because it is a webcomic and because I've collected uh, different chapters and different uh, stories into e-comics, I'm going to submit the e-comic version of Evil Inc. as a digital comic and the Evil Inc. uh, website as the webcomic. Right. And now just to clarify for everybody at home, the reason why Brad can do that is that Evil Inc. is a long-form continuing arc uh, webcomic. So right. if, if Brad was doing Gag Day, if he was doing Family Circus, oh my God, Brad doing Family Circus. If Brad was doing Family Circus as a webcomic, oh boy. It would be a, a lot very of different material. strip. Be, uh, boy, um, the the not me ghost would be very different, I think, in that uh, in that comic. Um, or was it not I? I forget. What was it? Not me not or me. not I? Yeah, not, not me, me. I yeah. Um, Anyway, what I'm getting at is if he, if he was doing a gag a day, it would not qualify for the webcomic yeah. category in the Eisners. It can only be long form or continuing story arcs uh, that can be submitted. But I wanted to talk specifically today, Brad, about the Eisners because I reached out to Jackie Estrada, who, as I said, uh, very kindly has run the Eisners for years and years and years, is incredibly knowledgeable about the width and breadth of comics. 
and uh, is frankly an incredibly nice person to run the Eisners so wonderfully for all these years. But I was talking with Beth here in the studio as we were prepping our Eisner submission, and I said, God, what a logistical nightmare it must be for Jackie Estrada to get all these different books from all these different publishers from all over the world in yeah. 19,000 different formats, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought, as a public service both to comics, but also, frankly, to Jackie, <laughs> I would reach out to her. And I, I, I basically asked her, uh, Brad, can you share a few bits of advice that would honestly make your life easier and make sure that the processing and filing of all these different submissions gets handled in an efficient way that makes everybody in comics happier, right? And so, yeah. Jack, you very kindly emailed back with three bits of advice. And so I'm going to read those, th- those out to everybody, Brad. Uh, number one, carefully read the call for entries. This is the PDF that uh, I mentioned before. It's only one page. It takes about five, ten minutes to read. And go, sit down with the highlighter and, and go through it. Uh, the highlighter will be your friend. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so in, what she says is, for instance, it states on the call to, for entries that only one copy of each publication should be submitted. But many publishers, and this is surprising, we publishers do this, but many mm. publishers still send six or more copies. So it's like, uh, I like the idea that like, uh, Brad, if you're submitting one book for best humor publication, but also for best artist, right? You think there's a part of you that thinks, oh, I'll submit two physical copies so that they can both yeah. be. But what she's saying is like, no, look, we got 19,000 books in this room. <laughs> the judges yeah. can figure out once you've submitted the piece of paper that says, please judge this one book for both best cartoonist and best humor publication. That's all Mm. you need to do, submit one. So that's number one from Jackie. Number two, the main other advice I would give is to be professional. I have received submission letters handwritten on scraps Mm. of paper. Physical letters should be on paper that I know. It's like, do better other cartoonists, do better. It's like, hey, I found this old newspaper and I used a Sharpie and I wrote my (laughs) Eisner submission on it. Uh, she I says, got this on a post-it note. Yeah, I hope this is okay. I used my old receipt from Quiznos <laughs> and I wrote on the back of it. She says, physical letters should be on paper that is easily copied. And copied is the word you want to focus on there for reasons you can yeah. figure out. And preferably single-spaced. Digital letters should be in a format that is easily accessible, such as Word or PDF. So don't send your 20-year-old Quark Express file that no one can print out. Because basically, or, or remember, there's five pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There's my there's students at U Arts do that to me all the time. You know, they'll I'll, I'll get something in a dot pages, and it's like I've got it. I've got a Mac. I can open it, but now I've got to open that up. Just give me a PDF. You know, and yeah. make this stuff simple. Make make it easy. Like basically, uh, go the take an extra 10, 20 minutes. Read the instructions is what she's saying, and yeah. go an extra mile to make it easy on the judges. Because remember, if you're frustrating them at any uh, stage, that's not helping your cause, and it's not helping the overall right. process of getting the eyes judge so be cool basically um and then the last point number three from jackie strada other than that the only thing i would request is that request is that comics not be bagged or boarded or shrink wrapped or otherwise packaged individually and that is easy to figure out brad basically they're getting nineteen thousand books and if you can imagine having to unbag unboard unshrink wrap nineteen thousand books your, your fingernails old. are getting tagged and torn, and also you're just producing a ton of scrap around the office. So those three, um, reading the call for entries, a professional letter, and uh, and not having it bagged and bored. Yeah, so let's talk about sending that, uh, that sending that submission in. First of all, 
uh, it, for most of us, like web cartoonists, uh, we're going to be sending in an email that has our submission. All right. 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 Uh, so let's talk about the email submission, because certainly everything that Dave just got done saying is going to uh, guide you through for uh, the books that you're physically shipping in. Let's talk about the email submission for best web comic and best digital comic. I'm going to run this by you, Dave, because uh, this is what I did this year. I got more uh, into it than I've ever gotten before trying to cover all my bases. So when I'm writing my email submission, not only am I pointing them to the evil link website, okay. I'm also pointing them to where a significant story from 2019 started so they can start right at the storyline. Gotcha. I also send them the link to where that storyline started on Webtoons, where I'm Smart. mirroring yep. my yep. Uh, comic. And then also I've taken all of the uh, full page updates from 2019, every one of them, and I just put those into a PDF and attach the PDF as well so that if they want to, they don't even have to go to the site. They can just pull that PDF up and path through every one of them. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, a part, a part of it is just assume like, you know how, when you're emailing your parents or you're emailing someone who's older and you make things yeah. very easy for them, just, I mean, I know that some of these judges are 20, 30, 40 years old and they're going to be tech savvy, but you can still take the same thing, make it easy for them. If, if they have a Webtoons account, they can jump right over there. If they have the website, they can jump in right there. And then uh, my only other caveat to to add Brad on this is, is under a broader uh, scope, which is remember to stay cool on this uh yeah. and by that i mean i have talked to past eisner judges and i have talked to past cartoonists in the industry and the sad truth is that people when they find out who the judges are they will reach out to them individually which is not no. cool yeah no. they'll email them or they'll bother them at their comic book shop or, or their academic location whatever they're at and my advice to you is just don't be that thirsty. That feels like someone yeah. who hasn't had a date in nine years and is desperate for a <laughs> Tinder date. Like, don't, don't, uh, don't do that. And then also, if, for, uh, if the stars open up and you get nominated to be an Eisner, uh, don't lobby other cartoonists or other industry professionals. Oh, don't you think, Brad? Yeah, I mean, that's no. always, it's always like, don't do this. Don't, don't do that. Either the work stands on its own and it's fine, or maybe it did stand on its own, and for a thousand subjective reasons, people didn't vote for it. That's also okay. Remember, at right. the end of the day, awards don't matter. Brad and I have yeah. both won awards. We've both nominated for awards. You wake up the next morning having to, to put in the same amount of work and trying mm -hmm. for the same amount of income. Uh, yeah. Frankly, it's the, the work itself is the goal, not the, the award. Uh, so don't be too, uh, too uh, thirsty, as I said. Yeah, and, and, and let your work stand on its own. So another thought that I had also is for best digital comic, make sure that you're sending them either the digital comic or a link through which they can get a free download to that comic. The, the whole point is make it easy as possible. And then what I did, Dave, that entire email, I copied that, brought that into a document that I could turn into a PDF with Smart, all the yep. hyperlinks active. and linked the PDF too. So I've got like, I've got the email, I've got a PDF, I've got in that PDF, it's got all of the 2019 evil Inc. comics. I've, I've tried to cover the bases in, in fact, give them maybe too much 
Right, because right. then they can just use whatever they want to use, right? And and not use what they don't want to use. Brad's method was so good that I actually stole Brad's method. I did. I uh, I did both the email and then the copied paste PDF. And the PDF dresses it up a little bit. It looks more like a a cover letter for a resume, and it, which is what Brad kind of did too. Um, yeah. But again, same idea. Make it easy for them. Make it in duplicate ways. Whoever's processing the emails that day, if they want to take the email and print that out, fine. If they want to take the PDF and print that out, fine. But uh, either way, best of luck. Do submit if you're doing pro work. Brad and I wish you all the best and uh, and hopefully have a review of both the uh, call for entries and Jackie's advice on this show. And uh, And good luck to you. Dave, here's a $5 question from a Patreon backer. Scott, who writes in, I've noticed that both of you are intermittent with your update schedules. Do you think that affects your audience numbers? Do you have some tips on keeping readers engaged? How effective is RSS anymore? So there's actually kind of snuck in uh, three of them, but it's all kind of under the same heading of intermittent updates. Yes. So, all right. Well, let's take them one by one of those 48 questions that they snuck in. Um, So question number one, intermittent updates. So uh, let's go back historically a little bit. The reason why Brad and I uh, did seven days a week at first was because Mm -hmm. newspapers did seven days a week. And by God, Brad and I were going to show the world and those future syndicate editors that we were ready to be picked up. So we did seven days a week and look at our webcomic seven days a week. And also, by the way, we didn't know it at the time, but it was also a faster way to cut our teeth and get better at cartooning by doing seven days a week. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, as time went on and we realized, oh, wait a minute, we're going to make a career online. We don't have to do seven days a week. You found in that first, in the early 2000s, a lot of web cartoonists started dropping maybe Saturdays and Sundays because nobody was online on Saturdays and Sundays. They were all living their life. Um, And then uh, it got down to Monday through Friday. And what happened is under the ad model, uh, that was critical to keep those five days going because it was generating page views. And so cartoonists also maybe started putting their blog. Remember Penny Arcade did this, their blog separate Mm -hmm. from their comic because that generated two page views per visit rather than one page view. Um, But then what happened is the ad model did something that's kind of unique and wonderful. It committed suicide. It went off a cliff. (laughs) And and so it became really unimportant, don't you think, Brad, to to have those daily updates? Well, back under the ad model, that's the why behind the what, right? And I always say, understand the why behind the what. Uh, the reason we had those updates was for ad views. Yep. Now, like Dave said, either by suicide or, or whether it was homicide uh, from the ad blockers, one way or another, they're, they're not a player anymore for most web cartoonists. And therefore, it's not uh, as, as uh, imperative to have those daily updates. But also, as I've argued on this show before, um, the reading habits of your readers have changed. They're not coming to your site as much as they used to. They're getting most of their content on social media. And I've said before, it's like the difference between somebody that goes out and forages for food and somebody that's sitting in front of a smorgasbord with a conveyor belt where food is just constantly being passed by them and they reach out and grab whatever they want. That's the person you're trying to attract now. And it's not about the everyday update. You can have an intermittent update. In fact, I advise cartoonists all the time. Don't even apologize for missing an update. 
Because chances are no one 95% of your readership didn't notice you missed. They were so busy with the smorgasbord. Their mouth was stuffed. They right. didn't notice you missed. In fact, you called attention to a negative, which is a terrible idea. Right, uh, right. The intermittent update is, is your friend. You don't have to keep doing it. As long as you're putting good work, as long as that update has something significant that happens. In other words, no longer can you get away with doing a, a full page where somebody's running through the woods, you know, pay, uh, pay, you know, four panels of different angles of this guy running through the woods. Well, no, that's not going to cut it anymore because, again, you have to re- realize every time somebody's exposed to your work, it might be for the first time that they've ever seen it. And four panels of somebody running through the woods is not going to intrigue them. Uh, so <laughs> the intermittent updates is, 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 I think, dead. And, or I'm sorry, the intermittent updates is the new way to go. Uh, and 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 so much the better. That's that's going to play to your advantage as a web cartoonist. Yeah, I think the way Brad structured it at first is the most brilliant way to do it, which is you always want to look for the why behind the what, because that will yeah. give you. Uh, in fact, this is good for when you're trying to sleuth out why other cartoonists are doing certain things right now, or why did this business that that prints comics do it this way and not that way. When you look behind the surface of why they're doing it, you'll understand yeah. what they're doing and what their strategy is. So, for example. Um, when Brad and I were first getting started, the why was we need a lot of people to see these pages so that we can get a few micro pennies from each one of them so that it'll mm-hmm. add up to a thousand, two thousand, whatever it was a month, you know, that kind of thing of advertising through ads. And, yeah. and then to, to a small, tiny percentage of those people, one to two to three to four to five percent, probably more like one, we would sell a T-shirt to. Or if we were one of the lucky, young, plucky web cartoonists, we might scrape together a few bucks and print a book. And I remember yeah. in, in 1999 or 2000 when someone was brave enough and we would try to sell that online or at comic book shops. And that's, and that's how we made our living. And then yeah. uh, what happened is as the ad model fell apart because of pop-unders, pop-overs, sound, audio, viruses, and then eventually because of ad blocking, um, mm-hmm. as that model completely fell apart, it just so happens, and thank God for it, that Patreon and Kickstarter, that distributed fundraising model, was picking up steam just at the same time. And so the reason why we are going to more intermittent uh, things is that we don't need that constant uh, drug feed of comics feeding an ad uh, uh, system. That doesn't matter anymore. What we need is to build a relationship. That's all. So you just yes. want to produce enough intermittently to continue the relationship, to keep them in their mind, to keep them in their feed, to keep them in their in their weekly reads, so that you also have enough to produce a book from time to time, which is great. Um, you're getting the Patreon money, which is great. You're getting an occasional Kickstarter project, which is great. Uh, and so that's that's the why behind the what. Yeah, I think Brad hit the the nail on the head for that. Yeah, and there was a couple other questions there that we should probably just uh, address really quickly, and and I think we can knock these over uh, easily. Uh, do you think that affects your audience numbers? No. If it did, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. If I was doing intermittent updates and I was losing audience, I would stop doing intermittent updates. Uh, that that that's very simple. And how effective is RSS? Not effective. You cannot. We had somebody else uh, from Patreon uh, write us in and says, how do you keep saying RSS is dead? I'm using it. Well, uh, that's great that you're using it. The, new, the, 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 the headline is 
your readers are not using it. I still yeah. have an RSS feed for my comic. It's still out there. It's still useful for uh, different uh, approaches. But you cannot count on RSS to bring readers to your site. It's just not going to happen. And, and the reason why, let's talk about that for a second. Um, RSS still yeah. exists. We still use it. I still have it on both my sites like Brad. Um, I still use that RSS feed to feed into my MailChimp, which then goes out to my mailing list uh, directory, you know, of all those readers. So, yes, it absolutely yeah. still serves a purpose. Um, but here's the thing. If I, RSS is like one of those technologies that if it's not actively growing, well, then it's kind of dying. And RSS yeah. is not actively growing because a lot of the big tech things are not servicing uh, RSS anymore. Like Google, when they killed their servicing of RSS, uh, that put a real big blow on how many people of mine were reading Sheldon or Drive via RSS. Mm -hmm. Because if it's not easy for, you always have to imagine it for an older reader. If it's not easy for an older, right. non-tech savvy person to get it, they're not going to go seek out the one obscure bit of software that can that can uh, bring RSS into their life. If it's not in the two bits of software they already use, they're not going to use it. You know, that kind of thing. And so that's yeah. kind of what happened to RSS. Is that is it still usable? Absolutely. Do people still use it? Absolutely. Is it easy for the average new person to discover and and adopt into their life? Eh, not so much. You know, you kind of, <laughs> for the most part, you kind of have to jump through a little hoops here or there. Um, uh, so anyway, I think I think that kind of puts a button on it, don't you think, Brad? Absolutely. And and for your last question, do you have tips on keeping readers engaged? Uh, go to any Comic Lab episode where we talk about the four C's of social media. That's how you keep your uh, readers engaged. Dave, we've got another $5 Patreon question here coming in from Max. All right. And it says, thanks for the great podcast. I always love listening and learning. I was curious about what both your opinions are regarding dedicating a page of a comic to a character introduction sheet. In other words, a full page that introduces a small illust illustrational bust of a character and then a one-sentence description about that character below. I'd love to know if you think they add or subtract to a comic and if it's better to introduce your readers to characters as the comic progresses or before the comic begins. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Character introduction page in the comic. Well, I just want to clarify this. They're saying that it's in the comic, right? It's not an about page mm. that's a separate web page or, a, or back a book type thing. They're saying it's... Like, that's what Max is saying. You're going it, from it page six to page seven. Dedicating a page of the comic. Huh. Okay. Well, I don't immediately love it, but I think if you did it in a stylistic way, maybe it could work. But for the most part... I think people like to come to know a character naturally, which is all the cues we talked about actually on a previous show, which is mm -hmm. uh, what do they say? How do they act? How do they dress? How do they react to outside stimuli? How do they react to outside people? That's how people mainly like to enjoy coming to know a character. Um, it's the most pleasant way. It, now, there are movies, and you can think of them, that when Brad Geiger makes a sudden appearance, it's sudden freeze frame, and you get like three fast facts about Brad Geiger. <laughs> like you can, I'm, I'm, I can't, no movie is jumping to my mind, but you can imagine a stylistic <laughs> movie that's had that where like a new character walks in and then suddenly it's ba -da -ba -ba -da, and it's Brad Geiger, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it almost feels like something in the 60s or 70s, that technique. Uh, and I don't know why I resonate that as 60s or 70s, but it does to me. Anyway, I don't know that I would recommend it, but I think uh, uh, I think you you're better served by doing it the traditional way. Brad, what do you think? 
Max, you're making a big mistake in doing it this way, and I'll tell you why. You're assuming that your readers are coming in on page one and reading page two and page three and page four, and that's not the way it's happening again for the reasons of the first topic of the show that we talked about. Your readers might just get exposed to you on page seven, and it's up to page seven to attract them and to engage with them, and then maybe you know, nine chances out of ten, they're they're probably coming in reading page seven and then page six and then five, and then they're like, oh, okay, there, there's something interesting going on here. I'll jump over to page one. They're not reading these pages in order because they're coming in at all kinds of different points during the during the publishing process of your web comics. So putting it in the comic is hiding it. However, I am a big fan of having an about page on your uh, website. In other words, having a page where somebody can click on it and get a little synopsis of the story. They can get that information about the characters that you talked about. I'm a big fan of the about page. I am not so excited about hiding it in an interior comic page. And also remember, uh, Max, that uh, you might be putting too much emphasis on how much the reader is desperate to find out about this character right now in the story. I have to, I can't enjoy the story unless I know everything about this character, right? Like, I just because it's a well-known movie, I'll say it. Like, when, when the droids crash land on Tatooine, right, after they've just escaped from <laughs> Darth Vader in the first Star Wars, no one is going like, well, I would enjoy this movie, but who previously owned these droids? Where did these droids come from? <laughs> did, a, did a young boy build that droid? And what kind of a droid yeah. is C-3PO? Yeah, and what kind of a droid is C-3PO anyway? Does he know languages or not? I yeah. need to know this. I need to know if the small trash can droid can unlock a door. Can we establish that really quick? Does he or does he not have rockets in his legs? We need to establish that right now. I can't enjoy the story. Unless, so what I'm getting at there is that if the story is compelling, that's what's bringing your readers in at that yeah. moment. It's carrying along. The, the slow revelation and details, and frankly, sometimes the intentionally left out details of a character can yes. actually make a story more engaging. Like, look at an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, so I, I, I might say that you're very excited to share whatever character building or world building it is around this character. I get it. But uh, if you're focusing on making a good story and slowly dribbling out things about the character, uh, nine times out of ten, I think that's the way to go. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Brad, our sponsor for today, once again, is Sideshow Collectibles. And I got to tell you, I've uh, developed a delightful relationship with Sideshow because, yeah. uh, A, I love their stuff. But also, uh, they've had me out uh, to do both a couple of shows at their uh, at their facility yeah. and also to tour it a couple of times. And it is 
It is a playground of creativity out there. It is a fantastic. <laughs> the next time you are out, you've got to come visit because it is it is amazing over there. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I, I really want to do that because I've watched those interviews and you can tell you're having a great time. It's it's a lot of fun. Plus, the interviews are really I, I've kind of become a geek about this ever since uh, doing podcasts and stuff. Uh, it's well produced. It, it's well done. And the, the interviews are very enjoyable. Oh, and if you're a nerd like we are and you walk and see a, a half-size, uh, beautiful sculpt of Yoda, yeah. you can't stop but go, oh, I like that Yoda. Uh, I, I always feel like as I'm leaving Sideshow, I should my my hoodie sweatshirt is just bulging underneath because I'm like, and I'll take this and I'll have that and this is for me. Mm, this is all delightful. You're, you're just hoping they don't have security tags and a beeper at the door as you're making your run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, it's super delightful that they are sponsoring Comic Lab. And uh, so specifically what's uh, sponsoring uh, this Comic Lab is Sideshow's Sideshow podcast with the comedian Jeff May. And oh. uh, on that show, listeners can uh, listen to a whole bunch of different comic creators, both writers and artists. And it's really fun because it's an industry perspective. So you can get people like Jody Hauser of Doctor Who and Stranger Things, Scott Lobdell of X-Men, Top Cow's Henry Barajas, uh, people like our friend Brandon Bird, uh, who yeah. is an amazing artist here in Los Angeles. And uh, each episode is delightful. It is funny and casual and engaging. And it's nothing, it's not like a boring, deep clinical dive, you know? It's more of a, that's kind of like what we do here. It's 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 fun and, and engaging and uh, and each episode kind of stands alone, you know? Yeah, you're not going to get a diet didactic uh, diatribe over there. You're going to get creators talking about things that they're fans of. You're going to hear people right, speaking right. passionately about the things that drive them. Uh, and and not only not only like uh, comic creators, they've got other comedians. Jeff May, of course, is a is a well known comedian over there on the West Coast. Uh, but they're going to have other comedians, uh, voice actors, uh, <laughs> models, an entomologist for crying out loud. I, I, I mean, you there's a little something for everybody over there. It's it's really amazing. And uh, of course, you can listen to the podcast, but there's also full video playback available on Sideshow's YouTube channel. But the place to go to for all of this is over at side.show slash comic lab. So once again, that's at side.show slash comic lab. And we both encourage you to head over and check it out. And we thank them for sponsoring today's show. Our next question is coming in from Michael, who says, I write a bit of fiction in lengths from short stories to novellas to novels often with recurring characters. My question is, what, if any, of the business models for web comics do you think might apply to the production of storytelling forms like serialized fiction or audio fiction? In other words, Dave, how can we apply the web comics business model, quote unquote, to other kinds of creative endeavors? That's interesting. What an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's tuck into this one. So, okay, you do definitely have the um, trick in that comics have uh, the visual aspect, which is a very merchandisable, both on books and T-shirts and bumper stickers and and magnets and all sorts of things, right, Brad? I mean, I think we can mm -hmm. all agree on that. Yeah. So you don't have that, but but uh, let's think about it from like a Harry Potter terms. You do have hopefully creators moments quotes that can be that can be merchandised. So there's that. But I think, honestly, the strongest leadoff point, the jumping off point that I would give to a writer is the most transferable thing that web cartoonists do that a short story writer could, could use to their advantage is Patreon. Don't you think, Brad? Don't you mm -hmm. think Patreon is the most transferable business model that a short story writer could do? 
Absolutely. And specifically exclusive content on Patreon. Uh, oh, yeah. It, true, it's yeah. going to be the driver there. But uh, so uh, here's what I want to talk about. It, 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 it's not necessarily about selling bumper stickers and, and stuff like that. Really, what I would say I would want an author to focus on if they were going to do uh, something like we're doing is to focus on using social media as a way to connect with your potential readers and 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 get them to follow you so that they're actually interested in that book when you do put it out. Uh, Sam Sykes is a fantastic example of this. Uh, I follow him as a matter of fact, uh, and I think his Twitter handle is Sam Sykes Squares uh, or something to that degree. You can you can uh, look him up. But he does a wonderful job of doing the four C's of social media uh, and talking about things that not aren't necessarily his book. But then also he'll give you a little snippet. Here's a here's a passage I'm working on right now. Here's a passage from another book that I think is interesting for the following reasons. In other words, he's using all that stuff, curation and compliments and commercial and content. Uh, I would say. What you need to take away from the webcomics business model is this whole idea of using social media as a way of reader outreach and getting the potential readers interested in you as a person so that when you get a book, they're interested in that book. Yeah, so building off of that, I would also highly recommend, uh, as we would for web cartoonists, owning and controlling your own website. Uh, even as a fiction author, having everything categorized and not just on your social media feed, but like here are all my short stories. Here are all my short stories that are mysteries or horrors or romances. Here are all yeah. my novellas. Here are all my novels ready to go. Right. So you can point to someone. And, and that leads into my second point, which mm-hmm. is if you're using social media, if you're using your website uh, as a web cartoonist will do, one thing that you can also do with all this public sharing of free work as you can seek out for higher work, which a ton of web cartoonists do as well. Mm-hmm. And so as a short story writer, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm not in the market to, f- to find or hire or use a joke writer, right? But if right. I was, I know, Brad, what Twitter user I would go to because oh, over yeah. the years, this one Twitter user, and I actually don't even remember if they're male or female or what, I, I, don't, I just don't remember, but I remember their icon and I remember their URL or their, their handle. Yeah, Uh, because anytime I have a joke, anytime I have a comic, they one up it, which sometimes is annoying. But in this way, (laughs) it's even more annoying because they're funnier than the ones I have. Yeah, And I have started to notice and go, holy shit, this person is really funny and they're good with a turn of phrase. Their diction is amazing. Their vocabulary is amazing. And they are very good with the English language. And um, if I was in the market, like if I was an art director, if I was a creative director, if I was an editor... And I saw this person chiming in or sharing on social media regularly mm-hmm. and needed to mm-hmm. hire somebody. I'll be honest, Brad, I might hire them just because they're so dang funny. And I'm sure that's how cartoonists feel about or that's how creative directors and for hire f- hiring folks feel about web cartoonists and short no- novel writers. Yeah. So there's there's a few things you can take away. Number one, the use of social media. Number two, using Patreon uh, to uh, to support your work as it's ongoing and to support exclusive content. I would really, really suggest uh, using uh, exclusive content. But also as you're posting things, you can say, you know, this is for my Patreon backers. And then again, Take that webcomics business model of always owning your own uh, work and uh, using that ownership to drive your business forward. So, Dave, 
Uh, $5 question from Patreon says the following. When people comment on pictures of my art, comic strips, etc., I'm still quite early in all my career as an illustrator. I feel like I should reply to all of these comments, right? Every time you get a comment, this person says, I feel like I should respond to it. They say, I'm curious as to which point in your career you felt like you couldn't respond to all those questions or comments because being so loved and famous, it took up too much of your day. Now, there's no one as loved or famous as Dave Kellett. Uh, what do you say? I, 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 you, you can't respond possibly to every one of these comments, can you? Well, this is a really good question because yeah. I actually agree with them that early on, and frankly, throughout your career, you engaging and engaging with kindness and with humor mm-hmm. and with sociability is uh, a, a key aspect towards building uh, not just a fan, but a fan relationship, you know, like the, someone who's a reader, but who will go out of their way, frankly, to support Brad Geiger, because yeah. I still remember when Brad Geiger took the time for me, right? That kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I have found that it is most effective in person. Like if I if I give someone with all genuineness uh, time at a comics convention when they come up to the table and give them a great sketch and give them a hearty handshake, even if there's a line forming behind them, but if I give them the time to, to let them know that in that moment they are important to me. Um, that echoes for years to come, I have found, Brad, that in also it's just a matter of being a good human being. So like <laughs> business aside, it's it's nice to be nice to people. But it does. What I'm saying is it, it echoes through the years ahead. Right. So mm-hmm. there's that. But also being uh, kind and responsive on social media has a thousand benefits in that you are you're a person, you're not a corporation, and it, you can respond in all sorts of the myriad ways that a person does. And that realness, that genuineness um, has a lovely effect towards building a fan uh, reader or fan to artist um, uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. But I will also say, and I think this is happening for Brad uh, as the years go on, is that sometimes the the signal to noise ratio gets lost and that I could spend a big chunk of my day hitting like on every Instagram comment or uh, responding to every Twitter comment. Uh, and I could and I should respond to as many as I can. But there are times where in order to produce more work, I have to not comment. Right, Brad? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, although, I, uh, so I have not hit that point yet. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> right. well, I, I don't think I get as many comments as a lot of other uh, uh, comics people do. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure I've hit that point. Although what I will say is that uh, I, I do end up not responding to certain comments and responding to others. But for me, it's more of a behavior modification exercise. In other words, there are certain comments I want to encourage and certain types of comments I want to filter to the bottom of the tank and, and actually actively discourage that person sending the message from sending right. that kind of message. Uh, I I think it's pretty important to uh, to keep your finger on the pulse if you're going to be doing social media. I think uh, part of that is responding to uh, the types of messages that you want to uh, keep coming and and promote. So I I would be very, very cautious about uh, telling anyone to pull away from that because that's really what you're there for. Think of how long it took you to get uh, the people to start commenting on your stuff on Instagram, for example. Uh, it, it, it would not be a great idea to pull back entirely from that. Although uh, that when I look at your Instagram feed and my Instagram feed, 
that we're talking about two different volumes of commenting. And I don't know that I'd have the same opinion if I was dealing with your level of commentary. Well, no, yeah, I think um, let's let's say let's set some base goal lines here. And I think I think this will be helpful. I think both Brad and I agree that as much as you are physically able, you should respond and be social on social media and and encourage that fandom, encourage the conversation, encourage uh, the uh, niceties, all that sort of stuff. Right. So as much as you are physically able, I, I would propose try to respond to all the comments. Right. That's that's my that's my baseline. But then as a secondary level, I would say it's kind of like the two rules of robotics. Do all that unless any form of commenting or any volume of commenting is keeping you from creating or keeping you from wanting to create. Because let's also acknowledge the other unspoken thing here. This is two straight white guys talking about their uh, life on social media. There are people, and we have to acknowledge it, that have a very different reaction. (laughs) Just by nature of their very existence, they create a shitstorm of 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 weird and angry people coming at them on life uh, online mm-hmm. and so if social media you find is an unending slog of people bringing negativity or people bringing anger at you for god's sakes you do not have to engage in that fight to the virtue of of building their career there's one cartoonist friend that we have Brad mm-hmm. who she actually hires someone to look through her feed for her because she gets such levels of frankly shit thrown at her yeah uh and it was it was negatively impacting her and i thought what a smart move like yes i know i need to keep abreast of it but i don't want to swim in that so i'm just going right. to i'm just going to uh and i, I it's kind of a, a gamer gate-ish type reaction for those people that were wondering what i'm talking about anyway mm-hmm. um what i'm getting at is do it stay engaged use social media comment on all the things unless for any reason at all it's diminishing your joy for creating and cartooning or your ability to create and cartoon. So if it's keeping you back from both a time management perspective or from an emotional and psychological perspective, then yeah. pull back. Don't you think, Brad? That's probably the good limiter, the second sort of oh, yeah. r- rule of robotic there. <laughs> I'm glad you put it that way because that really is a good way to think of it. At, at some point, at, at the end of the day, the most important thing you're doing is your comic. If any part of this whole thing that we're talking about, social media, merchandising, publishing, uh, uh, publishing is kind of important too, but if if anything uh, gets to the point where it's it's detracting from that, you've got to take mm-hmm. a long, hard look at it and and right. bring that stuff back into balance so that you can you can do everything that you're trying to do uh, without knocking yourself out. You know, you you yes. you cannot yes. get so involved in keeping up with the comments uh, that you're detracting from your comic itself. And that, yeah, because the the bottom line here, and I think this is, we, it's a version of what we said before, which is if you lose the joy for the comic, it's going to come through on the comic. So if for whatever reason, the, the uh, responding to all the comments or handling all the social media is keeping you from having the joy of creativity or actually creating, then drop it, drop it like a, like a, like a, uh, uh, like a, I don't know. What do you drop? Drop it like it's hot. That's the words you're looking for. Drop it like it's hot. I was not thinking about drop it like it. I guess it is. Uh. (laughs) Drop it like it's hot has different connotations. Drop it like it's uncomfortable to carry around. How about, wait, like that makes a, me drop, sound like an old man. Brad proposes drop it like it's hot, and I go, no, no, drop it like it's uncomfortable to carry around. That's what you want to say. Drop it like it's, you know. Dr- drop know. it like it's a it's an invitation to a date with Brad Geiger. Drop it that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, our next cat question comes in from Red, who says, Hi, Brad and Dave. 
How aware of using existing brands would you need to be with a long-form webcomic existing in a more modernized setting? For example, I know that DC Comics used Sundollars to replace the name Starbucks. Sometimes uh, the Apple logo gets drawn as a pair by some cartoonists. And is brand replacement more for legal reasons or to avoid your readers from suspecting product placement? So what do you think, Dave? What, what, what do you think about this whole brand replacement idea? Uh, okay, so there's a lot to talk about here. Um, so uh, uh, most uh, people would be uh, accepting of the fact that if you use real brands to make real jokes about real things, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. And in a public sphere, the law would support you on most things. Um, now, problems that you might run into if you use real brands, products, and trademarks uh, is like, remember when Penny Arcade used one trademark branded thing to make fun of a second branded trademark? Yeah. And they got a cease and desist because that limits the sort of free speech rights of of uh, of how you can use it. You can, uh, it's akin to, I can make fun of Starbucks in the public sphere. No judge would have a problem with that. But I can't use strawberry shortcake to make fun of of Starbucks because then strawberry shortcake's like, why are you involving me in this? I don't want to, don't, don't drag me into this. If you're not making fun of me, then it's not a public criticism of strawberry shortcake. It's just employing their trademarks and their copyrights. And that's where it gets tricky, right? So with that small caveat, let's look at television. Why does television use brand replacement? Well, the reasons are twofold. One is sponsorships. If they have a TV show that mentions Starbucks, they can never run a commercial between the breaks for any other coffee company because they're like, wait a minute, why am I paying to pay for your advertising slot on on uh, Friends when in inside of Friends you're talking about Starbucks? That's not right. So instead, as an advertiser, I would like you to just call it Sun Dollars or whatever it is that DC uses, right? So that's option number one. Yep. Option number two is if you make a joke that frankly is not worth the lawsuit. And so companies can still, for all their rights, it doesn't matter if they're going to win in court, but they might try some kind of a, a slap type lawsuit that just stops you from, from commenting. Mm -hmm. So Starbucks, if you're continually making fun of Starbucks on Friends, they could try some sort of lawsuit that would keep you from, uh, from doing it. Now, whether or not it holds up in court, it might still stop you because eventually your lawyers would be like, I don't want to pay for this anymore. Can we just use a different name? So that's another consideration is you might just want to use a clever and everyone in society would winkingly know that it's not Starbucks. It's Garlux, you know, Garlux <laughs> coffee. And and the, the logo would be just legally distinguishable enough where you could survive a lawsuit. Anyway, so Brad, go ahead. What, what are your thoughts on this? I, I, my thoughts are this. Uh, if you're under 30, uh, Friends was a sitcom that was popular uh, 25 Brad, years Friends ago. Friends is the most popular stream show going right now. Don't you call me 20, to the mat on that. 25 years ago, it was on television. Just because I said who, drop uh, it like it's something heavy and uncomfortable to carry <laughs> instead of drop it like it's hot. I am not that old. Brad. It had it had five characters. Uh, wow, he's still going with the joke. <laughs> uh, no, I think okay. Dave, Hold on, no, keep going with this. What were the five characters, Brad? On uh, Friends, what uh, were the five characters? Uh, uh, Joey Chandler. Yep. Uh, uh, there was uh, uh, <laughs> Joey Chandler, Monica, Jennifer Aniston, Phoebe, <laughs> <laughs> and the dork that everybody hated. <laughs> 
I love that Grandpa was like, yeah, Joey Chandler, uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston. That's all he can remember. What a great diving out of that. Anyway, all right, but go ahead, Brad. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, product I think you, listen, I, I don't think we need to belabor it. I think you knocked it out of the park. Uh, I, I think that absolutely when you're selling sponsorship or you're selling ads, that you're not going to give away a free sponsorship. I, I guarantee you that's how somebody at DC Comics is looking at it. Uh, they're saying, don't give Starbucks a free ad if we will never get them to buy an ad. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Dave, we had a talk just a few uh, episodes ago where we said, oh, this Snuffy Smith uh, comic strip, right? They always say it's got to be Barney Google and Snuffy Smith. I wonder why that is. And I was listening to our show because, uh, listen, I, 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 think I, <laughs> I love the sound of my own voice. I was listening to our show. And I, I realized as I heard myself ask the question what the answer was. Dave, why do they have to keep using Barney Google and Snuffy Smith? What's Barney's last name again? Uh, Smith. No, Smith? Barney. And thanks for joining the show. Snuffy oh. Smith and Barney who? <laughs> See, this is the, this I'm just, is I've just woken up from a nap. This oh. is the beautiful thing about having you on FaceTime. You had you were your head was down, you were writing something, you weren't paying any well, attention. Because I was thinking to myself, I want to make clear, but okay, let's finish your, your Google <laughs> your Google point about the Northern California company Google. I know where you're going with yeah, this. Go ahead. Finish that's your why thought. they've got it. They they're probably doing that to protect their copyright because the last name of Barney Google is a, is a very usable name and they've got to keep that front and center. Um, yeah, but, Barney Google with the goo-goo googly eyes, Brad. Yeah. That hit from 1922. Do you remember that one? <laughs> no one does. Dave Kellett, comics historian, boring everybody in the audience. Barney Google with the goo-goo googly eyes was a jazzy hit from 1922. Uh, what was Barney anyway, Google's I, horse's name? Uh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Um, uh, peanut Snuffy. Wait, hold on. Your your Clippy? your brain is working right. What was what was Barney Google's horse's he name? He won the famous horse race in Barney in Barney Google. Right. Hold it on. Has a, it Charles has a... Schultz. Charles Sparky. Yeah, oh, Sparkplug. Sparkplug. <laughs> Charles Schultz is nicknamed Sparky after the horse Sparkplug in Barney Google. Right. That's right. That's when you said oh. peanuts. I'm like, you're on the right track. What a dumb series of facts that we've just shared with everyone. <laughs> what I was going to say was, though, I, I want to put a button on this, is that you yeah. can use brands in your comic as long as it is uh, – courts will very likely hold it up in court if it's social commentary, especially about the yes. brand itself or the perception around the brand, right? You'll hold up it in court. But um, where it gets a little fuzzier is when it's not social commentary, for example – but it it dings the product's you know reputation, or it right. it uh, it it starts to siphon some of the goodwill around that product, or misleads people about the product and what it does. That tends to lose in court. But um, but I just want to clarify with that because there there are a couple legal issues around using a brand in a comic. You can't have it recurring. That's another thing. It can't be like I'm I'm making a social commentary about Starbucks, and now Starbucks is in every comic. Yeah, a court yeah. will be like, now. well, now it's no longer social commentary. Now you're just using Starbucks as a character or a brand or a location. That's not cool. Um, basically, use common sense here because uh, your common sense will often lead you to the right legal conclusion, which is that you can't uh, permanently use a brand. You can't permanently ding it. It has to be kind of a you're in, you're out kind of a social commentary. You get your shot in and then you go. Don't you think, right, Brad? Right. But if you're avoiding it because DC Comics avoids it, again, you're not understanding the why behind the what. 
if you if your character drinks coffee and you just put a, a you know a little sketch of the Starbucks logo on there, you're really not going to hurt yourself. And unless you're planning on selling a sponsorship to Starbucks or any other competing coffee brand, you're not hurting yourself there either. Uh, there's right. really no real reason for you to avoid that. Uh, again, unless you're getting into that zone where Dave says you you're you're overstepping your bounds, and then then you got to watch it. But but if you're avoiding it just because DC Comics avoids it, uh, I think I think you're worrying too much. And you know what, Brad? Once again, use that brilliant phrase: understand the why behind the what. And so that actually triggered a thought. Okay, why does DC call it Sun? What was it? Sundial Comics sun or Sundial sun Coffee? Dollars. Sun, yeah. sun Dollars Comics. Um, Part of the reason is they're not making a particular social commentary. They just want to show Batman uh, walking out of a, a coffee shop, right? So that's one of what's one reason. The second reason is now that they've established Sun Dollars as a brand in DC, now Sinestro can make some sort of poison coffee that that gets the whole populace, and it's yes. not besmirching the name of Starbucks because that's not necessarily uh, needed to be highlighted. They just need a coffee shop. So now you understand right. the why. Uh, DC does it behind the what you know there's yeah if they're not necessarily making taking a social commentary shot at uh, at Starbucks then they don't need to ha- involve them at all Dave our next Patreon question from one of our Patreon backers comes in from Khalid who says hi Brad and Dave how do you feel about paying another cartoonist for an ad at the end of one of their posts on Instagram I've tried this several times and have received around 300 new followers. I agree that paying for advertising through Instagram directly is a bad idea, but should I continue putting ads in other comic strips posts regularly to help grow my audience? Well, this is an interesting question because I feel like the answer is in the question. Didn't that? Didn't, <laughs> yeah, don't you think? Didn't Khalid like Brad? Uh, this is this is Khalid. What the question sounded like. Now, this may be unfair, but this is what it sounded like. It's like, I, Brad, I'm enjoying this sandwich. I bought this sandwich from a shop. The shop made the sandwich delicious, and I now have a, a happy belly. Should I go back to this place that made this sandwich? <laughs> Should I head for the nearest restroom and uh, and burp? it up uh, yeah no no uh, that's no, a good I, sandwich I, you got there my friend keep going with uh, that sandwich i guess what i'm saying khalid and this is i'm joking in friendship but uh if if the question is uh if you feel like you've spent too much money or is it good money after bad kind of a thing then yes if if you feel like uh i don't want to spend more money then don't advertise anymore but if you are happy with the and i don't know what amount you spent but if you are happy with the return per reader and a helpful metric might be how much did it cost you to get 300 new followers, right? Like, mm-hmm. was it five cents each? Was it 25 cents each? Was it $5 each, right? You can see uh, a, a rapid diminishment in the expenditure costs if they're anything above, uh, you know, five, 10 cents per reader. But um, if you didn't pay that much to get those 300 readers, I would say uh, go for it. This is another great uh, way to talk, uh, you know, behind the scenes. So why do we rail against uh, using advertising, like to advertise your website or uh, boosting a a Facebook post uh, by uh, putting ad money into that? Why do we rail against that, but we're for this? Well, two reasons uh, that I would cite. Number one, you'd want to take a look at retention because the whole reason I'm against advertising my website, for example, on Google AdSense, is that the retention isn't there. I could drive my page views up, but as soon as I stop 
paying that money, my page views plummet because I'm not actually retaining right. those readers. I, I, I'm, I'm getting people that come over, but they, for whatever reason, they're not really predisposed to be my readers. And, and so they, they end up bouncing. Okay. And, yeah. uh, the other part of that is, uh, uh, like boosting a Facebook post. You've got the same situation. A lot of the people you're reaching may not really be all that into what you're doing. And as soon as the money stops, boom, it goes down. So if you are retaining those 300 uh, uh, new followers you got, I'd say that's money actually well spent because number one, you know that it's going out to actual people and you're not worried about it going being clicked on by click farms on Facebook, for example. You know right. that when you're dealing directly with another cartoonist who has built their own readership up, you've got a, a much better uh, guess as to the quality of who, who you're reaching out to, right. and you've got a situation where you got you can you can track your your churn whether you're keeping those people or not. If you're keeping those followers, those are real followers. That's actually I would say, and it's something that. Uh, I would actually endorse uh, yeah. is this idea of, of of doing this with another cartoonist. Number one, you're paying money to another cartoonist. That's a good thing. And if you're retaining those people, this is something that you can uh, hang your hat on. And it's the whole reason you're on social media. Yeah. And I think one of the key things that Brad said there, and I don't know if he's put it in this phrase, but uh, those readers are pre-filtered. These are yeah. people that have already shown us an explicit interest in a comic that at least you feel is somewhat thematically or stylistically similar to your work, such that you want to advertise it. So they're already, they have shown themselves to be comic fans and recurring or stick to comic fans. They'll, they'll stick with an artist once they, once they found them, right? Which is yeah. maybe not the case with uh, someone that you get on, on uh, paid for advertising on a platform, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe they've expressed an interest in superheroes broadly, but they don't want to read what Brad is creating with Evil Link. They just, they happen to like Batman. So they put that on their Instagram uh, or Facebook uh, profile, right? And so then the algorithm triggers that and they get included in your ad buy. But also I want to talk about a uh, platform, uh, why Brad and I are suspicious about platform was something like Facebook when they got caught recently lying about their video numbers. Yes. Um, it's akin to, for me, uh, and this is going to sound a little conspiratorial, but I don't think it is. It's akin to what happened when, when Wells Fargo had that trouble a few years ago is when you have a corporate culture that is encouraging lying or necessitating lying from this or that department to please mm -hmm. their vice president. Mm -hmm. um, it has to raise for you as a consumer a lot of hackles about what else am I not hearing about right. that this culture of pressure and and uh, and lying is producing that I haven't yet heard about. And so one of the things that we hold off on on buying ads from Instagram or Facebook or Twitter is a lot of their practices in both in allowing bots on their network because they could get rid of them and they don't easily. Um, yeah. uh, they, they getting rid of click farms because they could get rid of them and they don't is what culture is necessitating that happening? What culture is necessitating lying about video click throughs for like college humor? What's causing that? And so uh, if you take a, a second and think about the kind of financial pressures that they're working under to try to to show a growing and expanding network of active users, and they're all, you know, and, and uh, uh, you can see that like, it's infinitely better to buy from a cartoonist that you know, is a flesh and blood person, uh, who might even give you that little personal touch, they might even like, I've seen Chris Hallbeck say, after a sponsorship, for example, on on his Instagram, 
they run, he runs the ad, but then he's like, boy, I really like this cartoon. This is great. I really, I personally enjoy this one, you know? And so that sometimes those little extra nudges are, you're not going to get that from a platform, but you'll get it from another cartoonist. And so, uh, Khalid, I think to, to put a button on this, I think if you, if you enjoyed the process, if you like the artists that you were supporting with their advertising, and if they brought you in, um, readers at a rate that you found acceptable and they seem to be sticking around, um, and by the way, give it a month or two and see if they stick around. But yeah. if they're sticking around, then maybe repeat the process. Um, uh, always making sure uh, to keep it within a financially reasonable way so that you're not spending more than you or anyone in your life would uh, would take umbrage with. But um, on that note, Brad, I think that puts a button on the day. What do you think? I think that's uh, buttoned up. And we come to a part of the show that we like to call Thanks for the Kind Words. Dave, did you see this on Twitter just a while ago? comes from Lindsay Hornsby, who says, Hey, comic friends, I can't recommend Comic Lab Podcast enough when it comes to having nice comic-making advice happening while you're working. I back them on Patreon because they're swell guys with solid knowledge. For real, she continues. I've been chewing through the archives and listen to this. This is why I wanted to bring this up. The one from last month where Brad and Dave discussed the dangers of, quote, never give up, always be drawing, unquote, uh, is very refreshing to hear from someone who's gotten sick multiple times over the last six months. Mm, Now, how good is that to hear? That's great, because I, uh, just not to go back on topics, A, thank you for the kind words, but B, just to repeat the point, um, I drove my own body physically to the point of having nerve damage and circulatory damage from my drawing. So I'm so glad to hear that our comments are reinforcing for another artist that they can take a break if their body is telling them to take a break. Listen uh, Listen to your health, listen to the people in your life, your loves, and uh, those come before your cartooning. So, uh, yes. Um, and anyway, remember thank you what we very... said at the top of the show about intermittent updates. You don't have to feel like you got to do this comic this week. Those readers are going to be there next week. If you're sick this week, take care of yourself. Uh, yes. You're in a different publishing atmosphere. I can't emphasize that enough. Your, you, your readers are sitting in front of a smorgasbord. They ain't going to miss you this week. Take care of yourself and take care of being able to do this. Listen to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my chum, Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And the delightful Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. And the sponsor once again for today is Sideshow's Sideshow Podcast with comedian Jeff May. Do go check them out. Give them your support. They can be found at side.show slash comic app. Once again, that's side.show slash comic lab. Sideshow's Sideshow Podcast with Jeff May. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by the ever-wonderful Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. Comic Lab is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic lab. I, I liked that. Uh, I liked that one from Lindsay, but I got beaten up in junior high by uh, by <laughs> by another student named Lindsay.
<laughs> oh my god we're never going to be able to take a question again from anybody a question or a comment like well brad this question comes in from khalid and brad's like i had a khalid pop pop me in the nose one time broke my nose brad it's a qu- yes. khalid likes the show he's submitting a question no i can't i can't answer from khalid khalid bro- uh, and then all right we got Lindsay writing in brad no i can't like Lindsay pants me in third grade i can't i can't take a question from a Lindsay. brad yeah, it's for just God's like a sense- as I hear the name, I shriek in terror. Uh, yeah. uh, Brad, we've got this one coming in from Jeffrey. Ah! Oh, sorry. I didn't know that was another Jeffrey. In a, in a Warner Brothers way, you just see a cloud of smoke in front of Brad's microphone and the, the headphones just spinning as Brad runs off. <laughs> <laughs> Running away. 